Grief Stories is not a crisis resource. Please seek support from a qualified professional in your area to meet your unique emotional and medical needs. You're listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard, a social worker with an interest in helping people find hope and healing when someone they love has died. In each episode, you'll hear a conversation with a guest sharing their story and insights about what can help when you're adapting to loss. At Grief Stories, we're helping grief make sense one story at a time. Today's guest is John LaFront. After a career dedicated to working in end-of-life care, he's founded a project called ForGrief.com, and he contributes to the Love Always Project. Welcome to the Grief Stories podcast, John. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much, Maureen. It's good to be with you. Yeah. So at the Grief Stories um, project, we talk about people's lost stories and sometimes what it kind of has propelled them to do as they found hope and healing as they go through grief. And so I'm going to invite you to tell me a bit about your story of loss, because it's your loss that really has propelled you into a career um, based on that experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. I feel like that's a very common um, experience that people's personal experience of loss can sometimes propel them into career changes and finding just different purpose and meaning through that loss, I think is pretty incredible. And, and my story is, is similar to that. Um, and it's impacted me in a really profound way. And I never would have thought it would have uh, impacted me as far as my profession is concerned, but it really is just a beautiful fusion of, um, of kind of all the curveballs that life throws at you all weaving into kind of some cool purposes. So yeah, no, my, my story starts back about 15 years ago, 16 years ago. Um, and I was living in Japan at the time. Um, I was in my young twenties and, uh, my, my parents, after I had been there on a, a church service mission, um, were planning to come to Japan and pick me up and kind of tour the country that I grew to love. And, uh, about three days before, um, they were scheduled to arrive. I was woken one morning with a phone call and, uh, I found out that my dad, who was 43 at the time was diagnosed with uh, stage four brain cancer. And so all of a sudden my emotions flipped upside down and my world flipped upside down and, And, uh, you know, that's really where my grief journey started. Um, And I think that those that um, have unfortunately had the the curse that is cancer, um, that is often when grief um, begins is kind of when you first hear the news and you hear the word cancer. And it was definitely uh, true for me. Um, So I rushed home as quickly as I could. And I, I met my dad as he came out of brain surgery. Um, and I spent my first night back in the United States, uh, in a chair next to his hospital bed. Um, and that started a three-year battle with cancer and, um, it had a lot of ebbs and flows and twists and turns and, and, uh, but ultimately, um, we lost him after about three years, uh, of fighting and I'm the oldest of seven children and the youngest, um, at the time of my dad's passing was nine years old. So I had a lot of um, growing up to do and had to kind of be thrust into this world of, of talking about hospice and funeral arrangements and 
other end of life matters. Um, and it changed my life forever for a variety of reasons. Um, and it was monumental uh, in kind of who I am today. And really, I, I think without that experience, Maureen, I don't know that you and I would be talking for sure. Right. But, yeah. You, you mentioned you were on a bit of a different path and that this just altered everything as it, as you mentioned, often does. Yeah. This is such a powerful experience to lose someone important to us. And sometimes it just shifts our priorities and, and the paths open up in front of us in a much different way. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So you were... Um, in your young 20s, you're immersed in this world of end-of-life care and death and dying and grieving, anticipating grief, and then going through the loss and 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 then all the grief that comes after, you know, even though you thought you grieved it all in the anticipatory stage, you never have, right? You know. <laughs> and so so then you moved into end-of-life care work, end-of-life planning, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So You've got a couple of different projects you've worked with. Um, where do you want to start? What project do you want to start with? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think talking about that transition, you know, I got my undergraduate degree at, at Brigham Young University in advertising communications, and I got my master's degree in real estate development because my dad was a commercial real estate developer. And, uh, and I really loved both of those, those fields. But I feel like my experience, especially at the end of his life, um, I I was kind of in this very observant state. And I, I don't really know why, but um, I remember when we went to the funeral home, for example, my mom called me um, when I was at my other job and, and asked me to come to the funeral home um, to help make dad's arrangements about three or four days before he passed. And, you know, he was in his 40s when he was diagnosed. And so as a result, we we never did make funeral arrangements from a pre-planning perspective because that's not what you do when you're fighting cancer is, is go to the funeral home. You know, we wanted to exercise all the hope and faith and positive energy in the world that, that he would beat that. Um, but I remember about three days before we, we did, we went and met and it was just so interesting to me, um, you know, when we went down into kind of the casket showroom and we are a pretty traditional family and, and thought we knew what dad wanted, but um, you're all of a sudden thrust into this world of dollar signs and your emotions are so heavy um, at that point in time. And you get caught up into these emotions of dad's the greatest person that ever lived. Therefore, he needs the nicest mahogany casket and he needs a gold lined vault. And, you know, as the funeral director was helping us, um, I remember being very protective of my mom and knew that she was at a super vulnerable state. And I remember asking the funeral director if he wouldn't mind just stepping out so that we could talk. And I remember specifically, my mom said, you know, this would be so much easier if we knew exactly what dad wanted. We would just execute whatever plan he had put in place. And that statement kind of always stood out to me. And so one day I, I had a friend that was in the funeral profession reach out to me and, and he was specifically involved in pre-planning and he said, Hey, we're a part of, you know, this kind of sales and marketing company. We partner with funeral homes and we help kind of run their, their pre-planning um, efforts. And, you know, I'd love for you to come check it out. And I thought, what, why are you, why are you in the funeral business? Um, 
And, you know, that time it was kind of the recession. And so I thought, oh, well, maybe it's just because jobs are hard to come by. <laughs> you right. know, that's why he decided to go into that, that industry. And, um, but it was fascinating. I remember when I just, I, I decided to fly out there and to meet with them. And, and I just fell in love with um, the concept and didn't really know that it existed. Um, prior to that, I mean, I, I knew about wills and trusts and life insurance, but I just didn't understand that that was actually a possibility that you could prearrange in advance. And it just made so much sense to me. Um, and so I decided to use my personal experience with loss to kind of drive me into more purpose-driven work. And so that started a, a career I've been in in this profession that involves all things end, end of life uh, for the last 11 years. And it has been the best decision I ever made um, <laughs> and, and has been very, very fulfilling. Yeah, it really is purpose-driven work to, to, to make the choice to be with people and walk with them on this path, whether it's in advance and, and you're doing the pre-planning when people aren't in the throes of grief or whether you're supporting people when they're in deep pain um, yeah. at the time of loss or just after. And, and that idea of it being purpose-driven, bringing meaning, um, there's some real rewards from being able to offer people support through these difficult things that it's made so much diff more difficult by the fact that people in our society don't want to talk about death and grief and the fact that it's a fact of life. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk for a few minutes about the forgrief.com uh, project. Yeah. And, uh, and um, so tell me a little bit about that project, how it got going and, and uh, what you're doing with that project right now. Yeah. So through my various, you know, work initiatives, um, one, one program that we run is we um, do a text message based follow-up program where we help funeral homes reach out to families starting at about two weeks after um, the funeral service, just simply to check in and see how they're doing. And it's all done via text messaging. And um, that program has grown exponentially uh, and has been hugely beneficial. Uh, for families, but so meaningful for me too. Um, and I remember the first time we kind of deployed a campaign like that, um, it just tugged at my heartstrings, um, putting myself back in the shoes of somebody who recently lost a loved one. And specifically as it relates to grief, um, grief is is such an interesting thing. It's There's not it's not like, well, if you catch the flu, you're going to have these symptoms. There's, there's a common thread, but every individual grieves differently. Um, and it depends on the relationship with the deceased. It depends on um, so many different factors. And in my personal situation, um, when my dad died, you know, we were surrounded by family and, and community support, and we felt so loved and cared about that we didn't really think that we needed any type of grief support or, or therapy specifically. Um, we thought we would be okay. And, uh, and I think for a little bit, we were, you kind of have this post death, post funeral um, haze that is, is really interesting. And you do feel that many people feel lifted up by kind of their loved ones in their community that helps support them. But life goes on and people go back to their life. And 
it's so interesting. I mean, I, I've heard so many people say that year two is harder than year one. Because year one, everyone asks, how are you doing? How's your mom doing? How are your siblings doing? Year two, they kind of all expect you to have moved on by that point, right? Yeah. And for, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and the reality is very much that year one is a year of firsts. And so you're sort of in this cycle of today is the first May 9th without your person. Right. And then, and then you get to year two and it starts to be more real in some ways. Right. And then, like you said, that's when people are are kind of dropping off thinking, okay, you're good. Now we got you through the first year and you're really just settling into what it really means to be without your person. And especially those people that haven't experienced loss, they have the best intentions, but they just don't understand because they haven't been through it maybe. And, and in my instance, I didn't really get any grief support or therapy or help until five years after my dad's death, until my wife finally said enough, like we've got to figure this out. This is wreaking enough havoc in your life. And so my heart goes out to individuals that have recently lost um, a loved one. And I, I understand the complexities of the internet and the vast amount of content that is out there. And so how forgrief.com came about was just simply because we were dialoguing with these people and they needed a resource. And we decided to kind of leverage our, our, our national reach through the various funeral homes that we help and to bring in kind of national resources on a very local level so that um, we could bring the best you know, grief authors and specialists together and to provide as much free content as possible. And so um, we do a lot of different things. We've just launched a community calendar. So every month um, on any given day, there will be different subjects on very specific types of grief. Maybe it's the loss of a pet. It could be mother loss. It could be if you lost a child, um, father loss, et cetera, so that we can give very tailored, customized Um, resources for the individual type of loss. Um, But we also do a webinar series. um, And every month we have nationally recognized authors and grief specialists that um, come on and we have uh, a dialogue with them and and hundreds of people can log on and they can ask questions in live time via the chat. Um, And it's very interactive and personable and powerful really to see that big of a group getting together on a monthly basis to um, to discuss the common thread that they all have wherever they're at uh, in the world that they can log on and do that. And we obviously store recordings of that, but we also have grief guides with books and resources. And um, our hope is just, you know, that we can get them customized kind of grief um, support uh, via the click of a button on their mobile device. And it can be right there. And and uh, they can access it anytime, any place, from any device. And it's been so powerful to just see, you know, there's people that are grieving at midnight and they log on and they want to um, find something that can kind of uh, calm their troubled heart. And, and so it's been a tremendous just blessing and effort to be able to, to do our small part in being able to do that uh, and provide those resources um, to them via text messaging. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful resource. And you've got, you know, that idea that the text messaging starts sort of um, a couple of weeks after the funeral is just the right timing because most people are back to their work and life and 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 it kind of drops off again. And we talk about that drop off at the after a year mark. And and so to have these available resources that are there as long as you need and accessible like that. We um, just got the the link to forgrief.com live today on the Grief Stories website resource page um, because we love the work you're doing and it just blends so well with the work that we're doing, which is trying to get more information to more people so they feel supported and can find some hope and healing after loss. Um, wow. So it's uh, it's beautiful to see that work in the world. And uh, that's what's so awesome about. Um, just the grief support community. And, and, you know, Maureen, you and I, when we talked previously, I think that there's ways in which we can just help each other. And I think that that help kind of continues to multiply and expand as, as our collective efforts to just help people uh, expands. It's really, really powerful to see um, people helping people. And I love everything that you're doing with grief stories and just humanizing um, the grief experience is incredibly powerful. It helps you feel like you're not alone and, and uh, that it's okay for you to feel what you're feeling. And, and, and hopefully, you know, you can help kind of navigate those troubled waters. Mm-hmm. Well, and our belief is that as people share their stories of loss, that they find healing in the telling, in the offering of help to others through their own experience, as Absolutely. well as the people receiving the stories find hope and and connection to something that might resonate for them. And so that it's a, you know, and I think when you talk about the grief community, that that's part of that synergy, that there's there's a mutual give and receive and lifting one another up and shining light in the dark and this, right. And, and it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that just brings more people into the ability to find hope and healing um, and then offer that, light the way for others. So it's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so that project is growing and developing. And at the same time, you're also involved with the love always project. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the love always project. Yeah. I, I love the love always project too. Uh, it's a, a nonprofit organization and, and it's definitely a grassroots effort with um, various people that just have a passion um, for why prearrangements even exist. And, I just put emphasis on that so much of just having an intentional plan really can bring um, so much comfort and support um, to your loved ones. Uh, You know, funerals are interesting things. I get it. I understand why it's kind of taboo and people don't want to talk about death and, and, uh, and their funeral. Certainly no one wakes up in the morning saying, yes, I'm so excited to plan my funeral today. Like I get how challenging that is. And so um, the efforts that we're we're doing with the Love Always Project, uh, you know, we often call it your final gift to a family well loved, and um, I really believe that. Again, I, I shared my experience where we didn't have an intentional plan in place, um, and we when we were there in that that room, it was that was that would have been the final gift of just wow, Dad, you took care of that, and I'm not faulting him for it because we haven't been able to shift that dialogue fully um, in in this day and age. But that's really why this organization exists is 
to be able to just help educate on why that is a, a, such a benefit. And, you know, there's different components to prearrangement. Uh, and I think what I really encourage people to do above all else is to simply get it down in writing first and foremost. Um, I, I often tell people, look, take it a step further and and fund that that plan, you know, and, and there's various funding mechanisms um, on, on how you can do that because there's a financial component too. And I think I mentioned that of when you see the big price tags, it's just overwhelming when all you want to be focused on is your grief, <laughs> but now you're looking at dollar signs and it, it, it's just not the right time that you should be thinking about that, but yet yeah. you have no choice. <laughs> it, it just happens. And so if you can figure that out in advance, set aside the funds to be able to fulfill the wishes that you have, yeah. you can get as granular as you want with your plan. Um, you can include the cost of flights for your kids to all come in and and have a great meal with each other and uh, share memories and experiences. Um, you can detail whether you want to be buried traditionally or, or cremated. Um, you can you can pick out your casket. I mean, you can get as granular as you want through that process. Um, and it's amazing that when that does happen, that it brings a smile almost to the, the children's face or, you know, the surviving family members of Oh yeah, I I thought Dad would like a wood casket, you know, and it it, it just it is a, a gift. And so while it is hard, our goal is to humanize that experience too, yep. and um, to help change the dialogue and the stigmas associated with it, um, and encourage more people uh, to take that next step. And and that is actually putting a plan in place. So that's what <laughs> the organization's all about, and I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. And, and I've loved the collaboration that we've had with the team there. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Well, it's such beautiful work. And like you said, you know, your dad wouldn't have had a chance. It wouldn't have been a necessarily a, a common thing for someone in their early 40s to make a funeral plan. And, you know, some of the work that the Love Always Project is doing might change that. You know, um, I have conversations with my kids about things as they've started to drive about things like organ donation and what are their wishes in that regard. And yeah. so it's the beginnings of those kinds of conversations. And, you know, when my, when my dad became ill before my dad was ill, he always said he didn't want a funeral. Yeah. And, you know, I've always kind of done some grief work, um, and throughout my career in different ways. And, and, uh, so I said to him, I said, you know, the funeral is not actually for you. Yeah. It's for us. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people who would like to honor your memory. So, you know, maybe give that some thought. And then he, he, he was ill and he had a five-year journey with a couple of different kinds of cancer and then ultimately dementia, vascular dementia that took him fairly quickly. And um, when he became ill, he was the, the conversation opened up again and he and my mom made arrangements and prepaid. And so my mom was taken care of and he could see the benefit of that. And when he died, we had the opportunity to know, to trust that we were doing what he would have liked yeah. for a guy who didn't want anything. You know, he had some good ideas about what he would like when it came to, to doing yeah. it. Right. Um, and even though, you know, he had chosen a particular urn and it wasn't available, but mom knew what the first one was that he had chosen. So she could choose something similar and trust that that was yeah. something that was going to be, you know, meet his wishes. And, and it, it did allow us to just be together without 
a lot of pressure. There weren't any arguments over what was going to happen because it was already set out. And, and so, you know, mom's gone ahead and, and, and done that for herself now as well. And, um, the gift that that is when you're grieving the person who's died to not have to make those choices and, and to not be faced with, you know, well, you know, I loved him so much. I maybe do need the gold blind, you know, um, those kind of things when you're in that deep emotional space, it really is a gift for people who are grieving. It it absolutely is. And, and I've seen both ends of the spectrum, you know, where it's gone really smoothly um, and where that plan was in place. And, you know, the responses is, it's just so positive. And I remember talking to my mom about it and she had lost her mom probably five years ago and she was in her eighties. And um, my mom and her siblings always just thought, oh, you know, we're these capable adults. We can all get together and plan a beautiful um, funeral for mom. And it just turned out to be the opposite of that. They all got together and it was almost an immediate bickering and fighting about which funeral home to use, where the cemetery plot was going to be, um, you know, who's going to pay for what. And it's like, these are grown adults um, that all have resources. It wasn't a money factor, but it turned into a contentious moment where multiple times they're getting together and they leave angry at each other. And it's like all that chaos can be avoided if Mm -hmm. simply an intentional plan is in place. And it's like, all we have to do is pick the time and the date and it's going to, the plan will be executed. Um, The the rest of the time can be spent on sharing memories, connecting and supporting one another instead of, you know, the contentious activities that so that often. sometimes happen, right? Yeah. And that's it. I think people's emotions are so um, stirred up naturally. Yeah. So, right. That it just makes sense to, to have the conversation when, you know, ideally well in advance when it's sort of still a, an idea and not um, so much a reality, you know? Absolutely. And I think the, the better we get at acknowledging that death happens to all of us in some way, sometime, yeah, and and that grief is going to be part of that. Um, the more that a project like the Love Always Project is going to be able to reach people and and turn those tides and to let people have this, you know, better experience. Thanks so much for joining me. This is a great conversation, and I think we've got a lot of good resources and information for people as they're as they're contemplating this. What's it going to mean to me? What's yeah. it going to be in part of my life? Absolutely. And just thank you so much for, for providing the platform to have the conversation. You know, we, we live in a world now where you have um, technology at our fingertips and we have the ability to not only share our stories, but to spread those stories too. And, and, and hopefully with each one of us that, that has the courage to open up and tell, we can help somebody else so that their experience when that inevitable time comes is just a little bit smoother uh, and a little bit better. Um, and if we do that, then, you know, hopefully we'll make a difference in that way. Absolutely. And I think that's why we both do what we do. So. Uh, agree. Can agree more? Uh, uh, thanks again, John. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Maureen. Thank you for listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard. Please remember that grief is universal, but every person's experience of grief is unique. 
While our interviews are intended to help listeners feel validation and reassurance, we realize that these stories may be different from your own. Please visit our website, griefstories.org, for more stories of hope and healing.